I'm going to do a little recap because I love doing recap. I always do recap, uh, but particularly because our last couple of sessions, uh, a lot of people were out over the holidays as we discussed chapter seven, uh, excuse me, chapter 22 of our confession. Um, we are in a section of our confession that talks about the freedom and boundaries of the Christian life in chapters 21 through 30. Uh, this is actually part 7, not part 6, of chapter 22, which discusses religious worship in the Sabbath day. Um, to briefly recap, the last two weeks, or the last two sessions uh, that we studied um, this chapter... <clears throat> We have seen how bodily rest from work and spiritual rest in worship is both exemplified and commanded by God in general revelation and in special revelation. It is a fact of nature that our bodies need rest. It is a fact of Scripture that we are to devote a time to this rest and to this worship. Um, We've discussed and saw how God himself defines the period of that rest as one day in seven. Uh, we are not commanded to rest one day a quarter, one day a month, one day a year. We are not commanded to gather and worship one day a quarter, one day a month, one day a year, but one day in seven. God has defined that period of work and rest and worship. We've seen that Saturday was the Sabbath according to the administration of the Old Testament law, but that Sunday is now the Sabbath according to Christ, uh, to Christ and its administration out of the Gospel. It is called the Lord's Day in Revelation 1.10. We have seen that in the New Testament there is a repeated emphasis on the first day of the week. Scripture does not mention those things, time periods, in passing. As if there's not a significance to that. Um, the first day of the week we see in the New Testament, the church is observing Sabbath activities. Um, there is worship, which is the, the holy convocation, to use that Old Testament language of the great assembly of God's people coming together on the Sabbath uh, for worship. We see the church setting aside legitimate uh, worldly employments for the purposes of worship. Um, we see that the resurrection uh, on the first day of the week is spoken of as Christ entering his rest, uh, sitting down to reign. This is Genesis 2 where the Lord you know, completes the work of creation and then on the seventh day he rests. Well, Christ completes his work of new creation and then sits down to rest, to reign. We see as well that Jesus completed the work of the second Adam, this work and then rest paradigm following the covenant of works and its completion. Um, so in all of these ways, we see that the first day of the week is both theologically and practically connected to the fourth commandment. That's, again, the argument. Fourth commandment, seventh day Sabbath, and yet in the New Testament, we see them doing these things and speaking of the first day of the week in these ways, and we connect it theologically, and we can connect it practically. That's what we've seen. This is all old, old news. Um, last time, as we got to paragraph eight in the confession, 
we worked through this and we saw how the confession says the Sabbath is to be kept holy unto the Lord. It is his special day. It is his special possession. And we observe it in honor of him. Um, I will say as well that, uh, that you know, um, we, we talked about how there's only two things in the New Testament that are specifically said to be the Lord's. The Lord's Supper and the Lord's Day. You know, we will eat lots of suppers in our lifetime, but there is one supper that's set apart and distinct. The Lord owns that, and He defines that. There are lots of days in which we live if the Lord grants us long life or life in general, but there's one day that is distinct and separate, and it's owned by the Lord. He sets those boundaries. Uh, the Reformed tradition also holds that the Lord's Supper, excuse me, the Lord's Day is a means of grace. So it's observed unto the Lord, but it's also, of course, a means by which the Lord uh, pours out his blessing upon us. It is for our good. Um, we saw as well that the Sabbath is to be kept holy unto the Lord, that Godward direction, um, by due preparing of our hearts and ordering our common affairs beforehand. This is hitting at the notion to remember. We are to plan ahead. We are to prepare our hearts our homes, our plans, our, you know, our, our affairs. Make sure that uh, there's, there's gas in the car and that uh, make sure that uh, your, your, your suit or your clothes are, are clean and ready. Um, and, and of course, make sure that your heart is prepared. That you come to worship praying for the church, praying for the leaders, praying for the people, praying that God's name would be honored, praying that the Lord would, would speak and act and use worship and the church uh, to nourish you along in the Christian life. We considered as well that the confession says, so we prepare ahead of time, we order our common affairs ahead of time, and we observe a holy rest all day from our own works, words, thoughts, worldly employments, and recreations. And this is, of course, where there's a lot of controversy, and we'll talk more about this, but we talked about, we considered how this is not inactivity, which can be pharisaical, directed activity. It's purposeful and it's intentional. It's not passive. We set aside common worldly everyday necessities to direct our activity towards spiritual things. Rest doesn't just mean physical rest, but primarily it directs us towards a spiritual rest. Think about what it means to rest in Christ. That, that is um, an active endeavor. Uh, it is a virtue in which uh, we pursue, again, intentionally, actively. Uh, we considered how a holy rest from, from, from works uh, normal employments of this life and duties and responsibilities. We uh, observe a rest from words and thoughts. This is a spiritual rest of the heart and to direct um, our hearts and our minds heavenward. We can't do that during the week. I got, we got to focus on, you know, 
studying for a test, taking classes, um, your, your, your next responsibility at work, um, cleaning the home, doing the laundry, making meals, um, mowing the grass. Like, you know, we can't direct our words um, and thoughts or our hearts most specifically towards heavenly things like we can on Sunday when we're engaged in other legitimate activities in life. We just, we don't have the time or space to do that. We're not that great at multitasking. So this is an orientation of the heart. Um, We're to rest from our worldly employment. And by that, it does not mean sinful. It just means routine and every day. Our normal activities of life. We also talked a great deal about recreations. What does this mean? Um, I argued from the history of our confession that the context in which uh, the framers were writing is King James's book of sports. And if you want to hear about that, go listen to the audio. I'm not going to repeat it today, but I will say in summary that I believe that recreation isn't defined, but that, that organized recreations are in view here. Um, primarily, centrally. And that's how I um, interpret the confession or how, how I understand it's most specifically organized recreation. It's not a sin to go for a walk on Sunday. It's not a sin, uh, I, I would argue, not even to you know, throw the Frisbee or um, you know, play with your children. Um, but you know, w- would I say that doing something in organized sports um, is, is a sin? I, I would say yes. I believe the confession would say yes as well. Um, so, we, again, that's, well, I'm going to come back to this in a moment. I always say that, but I really am. So, we talked about that's what recreation means in that sense. Um, we also talked about, I'm still in review here, um, I promise I'm getting somewhere. But we talked about how we are to exercise public, ourselves in public and private worship and in duties of necessity and mercy. Um, we are to spend, the confession says the whole time. Uh, I argue that this does not mean every single moment, but it's the direction and emphasis of the day. Um, primarily, we are to give ourselves to public worship. Secondarily, we are to give ourselves to private worship and to duties of necessity and mercy, which I'm going to pick up on in a moment. But in Scripture, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the fourth commandment primarily concerns corporate worship. Neglecting to meet together, failing to attend corporate worship, is sinfully breaking God's law, unless we're providentially hindered. Um, I think that's clear even if you don't even go to the Sabbath. In, in the book of Hebrews, do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. Um, and I'm, I would argue that's not talking about, uh, well, just be there most of the time. It means be there every time without exception, unless you're providentially hindered. You're, you're sick. Uh, your car breaks down. Um, you know, something happens that prohibits you from going to worship. And um, it's, it's a command, but it's also again, for, for our good. How easily we drift away 
how easily even missing one worship service sometimes can <coughs> cause us to fall headlong into temptation. Not to mention the fact that for the encouragement and good of our brothers and sisters in the faith. Private worship, God has given us a day to do our devotions. I can't stand this term, but it's popular to have our quiet time. To read our Bible and to pray. Um, and this is our freedom. We have a, a, a full day each week to devote our things ourselves to these things rather than being shackled by guilt at our inconsistency during the week. Sometimes the necessities of life come into play and you can't read your Bible and pray that particular day. It just happens. Now, if you are able and you have time, absolutely we must read our Bible and pray every day. We're to pray without ceasing. So I'm talking about more of like just sitting down and actually devoting ourselves and maybe pulling out a list. Um, obviously, we can, we can pray and we can meditate on Scripture no matter what we're doing. But in this sense, like we have a day where God allows us in that sense, hey, read Scripture, worship, and pray. And that is what we need and that is what is sufficient for us ultimately. Even think about the fact that, you know, up until a couple of hundred years ago, that it was very uncommon, very rare for Christians to have their own copy of God's Word. How, how have Christians for over a thousand years, almost two thousand years, lived the Christian life without being able to pull out their Bible whenever they want? By being faithful to the Lord's Day and hearing it read and preached on Sunday. And that was sufficient for them and it's sufficient for us in some respect. And don't hear me as saying reading your Bible is not important during the week. That's not at all what I'm saying. We have greater access, greater privileges, and we're fools if we're not taking advantage of that. But I'm talking about the being shackled with guilt because you find it hard to read every single day like you ought to read. That's why God has given us Sunday. And if you're faithful to devoting yourself to Sunday, think of how much Scripture you can read on Sunday and how much you can keep, uh, hold that, uh, take that in and carry it with you throughout the week. Don't neglect the Lord's Day. Um, this is actually picking up. We did not get to this section. So this is new material. Um, that was all what we covered before, but it all goes together. Uh, the, uh, the confession also mentions works of necessity on the Sabbath and mercy. Um, again, I want you to see not as, okay, here are a few exceptions where we can do things. I want you to look at this as a positive endeavor. We are to positively look to do particularly works of mercy on the Sabbath. And there are duties of necessity. Necessity, of course, I mean, what do we talk about? The necessities of life, uh, hospitals, police, firemen, necessities of house and home, things that we just need to do to live. Uh, somebody has to 
make a meal for us to eat on Sunday. Um, somebody has to do necessities of life. Um, you know, um, what it takes to live. Those, those activities are lawful on the Lord's Day. Um, acts of, works of mercy as well. We are to work and labor for the good of others. Um, this includes all sorts of things. Visiting other people, encouraging other people, making meals for other people, uh, pursuing fellowship with other people. Um, I've exhorted you many times in this church that in this season where we don't have Sunday evening worship, try your best, as much as you're able, um, to spend time with God's people and, if possible, to serve them. Invite people over your, your, your night of hospitality during the week. Do it on Sunday. That, that is a work of, of mercy in that sense. Um, look to do good to others. And even if that requires hard work, do good for others. You know, um, you find out that, that one of your Christian friends or one of your neighbors has some car trouble on Sunday. And they need to get to work on Monday morning. Well, you know what? It's certainly permissible for you to go and to help them work on their car. You know, an act of mercy. You're getting the donkey out of the ditch, right? That's the, that's the imagery that the Lord uses or the example that the Lord uses. Um, so don't look at Sunday as just, it's all about me and it's all about my physical rest. Look at it corporately. Look at it. How can I love other people on Sunday? How can I love my other family members on Sunday? How can I take um, things that they normally do and do them myself out of love for them? How can I serve the church? All of these things are, are permissible and even commanded on the Lord's Day. These are works of necessity on the Sabbath. So I am going to wrap this up to give us a little time for questions. Um, and I've just kind of put together, there's a lot of text on these slides, um, which I don't always like to do, but I'm going to do it today. I, I want to summarize everything that we've seen. And kind of, in this sense, help us put application to it. Uh, first and foremost, we must see the Sabbath as a gift from God. And, and let me just say, this really changes everything. You can look at the fourth commandment and the Lord's Day as something that is restrictive and binding, and oh my goodness, now I can't really do what I want to do. Or you can look at it from the perspective of God loves me. God knows what my body needs. God knows what my spirit needs. God knows what my neighbor needs. What a gift. I get to the privilege. I have the privilege of being able to say no to worldly endeavors. And take a day off from those things. And I have an opportunity to love my neighbor. An opportunity to give myself to the Lord. 
Look at it as a gift from God. Jesus says in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, whenever, there's a lot of discussion in our day about whether the Sabbath is old covenant and been wiped away and new covenant Christians no longer have no obligation. But if you look in scripture, every time the Sabbath is spoken of, it always goes back to creation. It doesn't go back to law. Creation. Creation ordinances are perpetual. That came before the law, before Moses, before the Old Covenant. They continue forever. And Jesus does the same thing here. He uses creational language. It was made. It was created. Not for the Jew. Not for the Old Testament Israelite. Not for the administration of the law. But for man. For Adam. It was made for man. So he goes back to creation... But he also says, you know what? It was made as a gift for man. Not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath doesn't stand over man. Man stands over the Sabbath. We need to see this as a gift. It is for our benefit. It is for our help. It is for our blessing. And if you look at it that way, it'll change everything. And I also want to go back, so I, I think that's important, and you know, when I preached on this commandment um, a few years ago, uh, I also tried to bring out the fact that you know, when you begin looking at it this way, um, kind of your pursuit of sanctification in the Christian life. And your pursuit of the church and your love for the church and your pursuit and love for other people in the church, it it, it affects all of that as well. It touches on every area of our sanctification, of our love, and of our communal living. And again, rather than just getting caught up in the do's or don'ts, look at it primarily as a gift, first and foremost, and go from there. And I'm going to touch on this more in a moment. Um, another thing I want to draw your attention to in summary is the Heidelberg Catechism. I, I will be honest with you. Um, I'm going to skip back here for a second. I will be honest with you. I'm, I'm really taking a risk by saying this. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the confession's language on the Sabbath, on this point. It does not mean I don't agree with it, because I do. It means, I think it, should, it, it, it ought to be expressed in better terms. Because recreation, for example, is not defined, first of all. And that can mean anything. You know, I live um, a mile from the church. Is recreation if I decided to walk to church on Sunday morning? Well, the Pharisees would see it that way. So... I, I, I think that recreation needs to be defined if you're going to put it in there. Now, there is a sense in which recreation on the Sabbath can be sin, but there's also a sense in which recreation, if we're talking about things I already mentioned before, bodily just movement or exercise or, 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 or fun with people, and that, uh, fun with people, uh, recreation with other people, where I would argue it's not simple. So I'm not a huge favor of that, but I'm also not, uh, private worship also really isn't defined too. What is private worship? If I want to mow my grass on Sunday and listen to a sermon or listen to the scripture being read, is that worship? 
fun. A lot of different opinions on that. I'm not one typically in favor of mowing grass or doing household chores on Sunday unless it's necessary. Um, even if you're listening to a sermon. <laughs> Private worship isn't really defined either. And we can say, in some sense, all of life is worship. Which is true in a certain sense. Even though... So, so all day in private worship, does that mean like all day I have to be reading scripture or praying? Um, so, again, I'm not saying that Private worship is important, and understanding that is important, and that's important on the Lord's Day, but I'm saying the confession, I don't think, really defines it very well. And it leaves us with a lot of questions. So, on one hand, I'm like, I wish it was more refined, but on the other hand, I'm like, you know what? Also, at the same time, the confession is broad enough to where they don't go in, it doesn't go into legalism by defining things that really should be defined according to Christian conscience. That makes sense. So, all of that to say, I really like what the Heidelberg Catechism says on the Lord's Day. I think it sticks to what is most important and what's most necessary without some confusing language that might, could be taken to some extremes. It says, what's God's will for you on the fourth commandment? First, that gospel ministry and education be maintained, and that especially on that festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. That's God's will for you on the Lord's Day. And if any neglect of this is sin, yes. Secondly, that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through His Spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Fourth commandment teaches us that as well. So, it is both a spiritual reality, resting in Christ, but also a tangible expression of obedience exemplified in bodily and spiritual rest on the Lord's day. We are to, I'm going to argue, avoid too much focus on what we can or can't do on Sunday beyond the clear requirement of gathering in corporate worship and devoting the day to the Lord. But what is clear, what is forbidden, are things that we do without any necessity or out of greed, I'm going to work a few more hours and squeeze some hours in because I really need to get ahead on this project. Works that we do careless, with carelessness or disregard for the ministry of the church. Or works that prohibit or hinder our or others' enjoyment of worship. So, I'm arguing that it's a breaking of the Sabbath and the breaking of one of the Ten Commandments uh, to neglect corporate worship or to do things on the Lord's Day out of greed, unnecessarily, I don't need to work on this day, but I'm going to, 
or in disregard for the church, its ministry, in any way that hinders worship. And yet, again, think more of what you get to do on the Lord's Day. Worship, bodily and spiritual rest, acts of mercy, enjoying the favor of God. Think more of what you get to do. Because I believe that is the emphasis, particularly in the New Testament, in its administration under the gospel. And remember as well that we are celebrating the resurrection. That this is a day that reminds us and to fill our hearts and minds that Christ rose from the dead. The grave doesn't have the last word. One day we will gather not just in this body with believers to worship, but with the entire church of God in an eternal rest of Sabbath. And that this day is a little foretaste of it. Just like the little cracker and the little cup is a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will enjoy in eternity. This day of rest is a little foretaste of when we will rest from our labors. And we will rest from everything in this life that, that is burdensome. And we will have both body and soul um, um, eternal Sabbath rest in the company of God's people. So, when you see the Sabbath as a gift from God for your good and for your neighbor, it changes everything. That's my ex exhortation to you. When you see it this way, it's truly a means of grace and it will serve your spiritual growth perhaps more than anything else. And in this sense, we are to look at, yes, the Sabbath restricts our sinful inclinations and our worldly perspective, but ultimately it directs us towards what is good, what is pleasing to the Lord, what is good and helpful to our neighbor, um, and what serves to build us and our neighbor up unto salvation for the glory of God. So I wanted to get through all that, and we have about 15 minutes for questions. Um, that is... Chris, I promise that's, we're done. Okay, next week we're moving on because he's got the next section of the, uh, the confession next week. Uh, we're done with it, but I do want, if you do have questions, if you do have comments, um, if you do have thoughts or encouragements, um, here's an opportunity for us to discuss a little bit and you can share that. So, Charity.
Yeah, that, that's a testimony that, that is my experience as well. Um, um, now, as a child, really, you know, my dad would not let me play organized sports on Sunday, and it just infuriated me. Um, I, I still remember, like, the, the, the opportunities I missed to play travel baseball, you know. Um, um, I, I hated it. It made me really, really angry. Um, and then when I was converted, I was converted in more of a kind of a Calvinistic Baptist or uh, Calvinistic dispensational type of setting where the Sabbath, you know. And I, I never understood why, how and why. Like, I remember going to an NFL game on Sunday Mission Church and my, my Calvinistic dispensational pastor, he got really upset at me. I'm like, why? I'll be at church next week. I'm there every other week. Um, and I begin to see, like, wow, like, there's got to be a basis in God's Word if we're going to set expectations for worship. can't be just a man's opinion. You ought to be, you can't go to an NFL game, right? And I began to really search that out, and, and then, so when I initially saw it, I'm like, oh man, now I can't go to a football game on Sunday. What's going on? <laughs> but then it just opened up this whole world. Uh, to me, of just the blessing of it and the good of it and how I needed it. And I began to practice it and it bore really righteous fruit in my life. And it changed how I looked at church. And um, I really kind of, you know, sometimes we talk about like, you know, when I became a Calvinist, everything changed. Like the whole world, the whole Bible opened up. Um, uh, If you're not a Calvinist, I'm sorry, but (laughs) that's the experience of most of us. Um, you know, when you understand the sovereignty of God, everything changes. I mean, I, I point to that too in, in relation to the Lord's Day. It really changed my entire perspective on the Christian life and worship and the church for good. So thanks for sharing that. Sam. Yeah, I, we talked about this briefly a few week or a few sessions ago, but you know, just as the command of rest one day and seven is the command of work six days, and and we live in a culture of the weekend where Saturday and Sunday are typically rest days, um, and you know, I, many times we can take the entire day off Saturday. And all of a sudden, we've got things that we got to do before Monday, and they end up falling on Sunday. When we ought to say, okay, Saturday's a day of work too, 
Let me do whatever is necessary on Saturday so that I can actually really rest on Sunday. Um, so I appreciate you saying that, that just, and, and certainly the Puritans took it that way. You work six days a week. And um, uh, just as much as the command is to rest, it is to work as well on those six days. Dick? Absolutely. You know, it's the same with every one of the other Ten Commandments, right? You know, um, you can think because you're, you're, you're faithful to your spouse that you haven't committed adultery when Jesus says otherwise, um, if you sin in the heart. Same with murder, right? Um, and I appreciate you bringing that out. It's the same with the Lord's Day. We can, we can show up on the outside can, you know, be like a Pharisee and not do anything on Sunday that uh, would even come close to breaking the law, and yet internally, we could do so out of legalism, we could do so out of formalism, we could do so out of laziness. Um, and that's why I think the confession, when it says it's observed unto the Lord, it's so important. It's the endeavor of the heart expressed in outward obedience. It's both and, it's not either or. You can't obey and honor the Sabbath without being physically obedient to the commandment, right? Um, but you can't just be physically obedient to the commandment while internally you're somewhere else. Uh, it's not either or resting in Christ or observing on, out, on the outside. It's both and. So, thank you. That's a, that's a good comment. That's good feedback. Kim? Yeah, just listening to these comments, Excuse me. Um, it reminds me of the importance of being very gracious to one another in our journey uh, of understanding the Sabbath. We often have different seasons of life, mm -hmm. ages where mm -hmm. some people are in a stage of life where come to 
to, when we start to understand these things and understand it's a gift and not look at one another being like, really? Um, let's be gracious. Let's not be critical. Let's not be judgmental. Let's not even the person who's like, why are you making such a big deal about the Sabbath? To learn and to glean from them. Um, so I, I just thought it was really interesting all the different experiences that we've had with, with the Sabbath. I love that. How you put it that this is that this is a gift. And well, should I do this? Should I not do this on this day? Well, it depends. Is this going to distract from? And that's the, the underlying issue is yeah. I want to be near my Savior on yeah. this day and think that it's a gift. Really hard to do when you've been brought up that it's such a burden. It's a command. Yeah. Don't do this. Do this. Well, that's okay, but yeah. you know, so let's be gracious for one another when we're going on this. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really good, and I think that um, listen, we could sit here all day and talk about what things are permissible and what things are not. And I, I, I sincerely believe that the New Testament is very broad, doesn't get into a whole lot of specifics. I believe as well that we can run into danger if we just look to the Old Testament and bring everything over because the context is different, the covenant is different. Um, you know, even the whole... The, the heart and spirit of the command is different. We don't look back to creation in Exodus 20. We look to new creation in Christ's resurrection. Um, everything about it is different. And so we can at times really draw swords with one another about what's permissible and what isn't. I believe that those questions are important, but that we ought to be careful, obviously, in putting fences around or saying things where God's word hasn't spoken. I know that even within our church, there are some strong opinions about, is it okay to go out to eat on the Lord's day? Is it okay to go to the grocery store on the Lord's day? Um, is it okay to play ultimate Frisbee with your friends on the Lord's day? There's a lot of, you know, we're, I think in our, even within our church, there's going to be different opinions on those things. And I think those are important questions. I absolutely think they're important. Um, and you need to answer them. And you need to help your brothers and sisters in Christ to answer them. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we ought to be charitable towards one another and respect Christian liberty and, and specifics of conscience where there isn't clear instruction from God's word. Do not do this. That's why I've said, like, you know, Missing the Lord's Day for, or missing the Lord's Day worship for reasons that are not providentially hindered is a sin. And I don't, I'm not going to in any way soften that or deny that. And I think that we're wrong if we do. Um, but really, when we get beyond that, things get a little bit more difficult. And again, we, we should show grace towards one another in answering those questions. I say this a lot, but you know, there's so many calls in the New Testament for the church to, to be unified and to show charity towards one another and to be gentle and long-suffering and patient um, and, because the New Testament expects the fact that we're all going to have different opinions on a variety of different things. In fact, even some of the most important things of life we're going to have different opinions on. How to raise our children. How to cultivate our marriage, what vocation to choose. Not to mention, you know, things of choices of, 
of, of, of, of entertainment or hobbies or how we spend our time or how we spend our money. Right? Remember, uh, one time in my Christian life, we went over this, the prayer meeting at the church was held in, this, in a member's home, and I remember a guy I was with, who I don't believe is a Christian, um, said to me, he's like, there's no way these people could be Christians. Look at the art on their wall. It's so expensive. It was very, it was, it was, they had a lot of very expensive art. He's like, how could they spend their money this way? Um, it's dangerous. We have different opinions on, is it okay to spend, you know, a year's worth of salary on a piece of art rather than giving that to the poor? Like, the, the New Testament calls us to get along because we're going to have different opinions on that, and the Sabbath is no different. So, let us approach that, obviously. What I mean by that is in the spirit of love and charity. Um, and if we disagree with someone's practice on the Sabbath, particularly in our church, the call is to go to them privately. Find out the context. Find out their motivation. Maybe the Lord will use you to change their opinion. Not to judge them or to speak ill of them or to cut them off or to distance yourself from them or to be haughty towards them or to look at them as unspiritual or to separate yourself from them. Go to them and pursue loving change that way. And you might be changed in the process. Richard, and this is going to be it, so we got to wrap up. That's a great way of putting it. We, we observe the Sabbath like all the commands in the law from the basis of we are already forgiven. And we have the Spirit and God's leading us into what is our good and what glorifies Him. And the Sabbath absolutely no different from that. Seeing it as a grace, seeing it as this is what I get to do. Um, amen. Thank you for, for bringing that out. Well, brethren, it's been, it's been fun. Seven, seven Sunday School series on the Sabbath in worship. Uh, that's great. Uh, if you have any other questions, shoot me an email. Talk to me afterwards. Um, but we're going to move on next week uh, in, in our study of the Confession. Uh, thanks for your attention. Let's, let's go ahead and close in prayer.